0: I'm like a, a software nerd that kind of fell into advertising. So I got a degree in social work from the University of New Hampshire. And I was working at a small nonprofit. And they said, you can have a job if you write a grant and get some way to find yourself. So I wrote a grant proposal that looked at how low-income families accessed public assistance through technology. And the money came from the Annie E. Casey Foundation. And basically, I was like 23 years old and I had to figure out how to get a piece of software written and it just like one thing led to another one thing to another and I realized that if I stayed in the public sector that I was like going to be on public assistance myself and at the same time sort of the dot-com boom was happening so I just very quickly transferred the skills that I had gotten writing this piece of software as you know a young sort of liberal wanting to change the world through technology and said yeah I'll You know, it was like holiday 2002, and I was like, yes, I wanna build a big e-commerce platform for a brand. And from there, just like one thing led to another. So I've always really loved the internet because I think it is the best community organizing tool ever. And what it does is it allows people that don't live near each other to gather around a community of interest. So now what we're trying to do is we're trying to find communities of interests that have something in common with the brands that we serve and put those two things together. So it's kind of a dreamy gig in that way because it's art and commerce and the internet. I'm Pam Scheidler. I'm the Chief Digital Officer at Deutsche L.A. Celebrating the lives, work, and achievements of women around the world, The Drum presents Exceptional Women of the World, hosted by The Drum's America's editor, Doug Zanger.
1: Let's do three questions. What do you think others believe your superpower is? And then what would you say your superpower is?
0: I think one of my real superpowers is my ability to take right brain people and left brain people and get them to work together towards a common goal. So if you think about writers and designers, you know, they are by their very nature kind of tweakers. It's never done, this kind of constant right. refinement, you know, right. sort of, um, you know, I want to change it. I had an idea when I was driving to work this morning. Meanwhile, on the other side, you have technologists who are very sort of binary, right? Ones and zeros. So they said, tell me exactly how you want this to be. But actually the designers and the writers, they don't know. Right. So the only way that they can kind of a, understand their goal is to start to see something. And the only way a technologist can start to build something if is if they understand how it's supposed to look. And so really trying to bring those two things together, I think, is my greatest superpower.
1: So does that sync up with what other people say?
0: No, I think other people have <laughs> no idea that that's what's happening behind the scenes. Got it. So I think other people would say, she's an amazing producer of interactive things without actually knowing that that comes not from being just like a task whipper or something like that. That in fact, it comes from having really genuine empathy for the technologists that are looking for clarity and the designers and writers that are looking for creative freedom.
1: What's the biggest praise you've ever received? And why was it so important for you? And what did you learn from it?
0: I was thinking about sort of what I was sort of most proud of the good job. And I'm definitely someone who like really needs that. It's funny, someone the our new CCO, uh, Jason Bagley was saying, I think like language is your love language. You know, I, I, I very much respond to sort of verbal feedback. And earlier this week, I was talking to a CMO and she said, I really feel like every time you speak, I learn something. And that, um, and she, and I love that. Mm-hmm. And it meant a lot because I feel like especially sort of where technology is concerned and with things that are have innovation or that are bleeding edge, there's a little bit of sort of smoke and mirrors, right? Like I know something that you don't and I'm going to tell you what you should be doing. Right, right. But in this case, I'm very much like, let me walk you through are thinking on why the use of, say, for example, an iMessage application or why a messenger bot is the right way for you to engage with your target audience. And I can completely sort of break that down step by step, which is to say, this should be contextual. And the easiest way to get that information is the following way. So for me, I I take a lot of sort of pride in saying there's no benefit to me holding knowledge back That's a good point. Yeah, totally. It's like the more they know, the more likely that they're going to be able to make decisions about how to make investments.
1: Well, I got to think, especially with a CMO, they're, man, CMO 10 years ago versus a CMO today. Uh, That's got to be a big sigh of relief to them because they're, I mean, really, I've heard this from not, I've heard this from a lot of places where we're in the business to save the CMO's job. (laughs)
0: Well, they're focused on lots of different problems, right? So it's like really not probably, you know, them thinking about the underlying signals that you can get from Facebook, social graph, it's probably not at the top of their list. So it's my job to help them harness that power. So I was stoked about it because, you know, I'm happy to help in that way.
1: What do you have a love affair with and why is that?
0: Well I did mention I do you know, I do have like a real genuine love affair with the internet. Sure. And with like technology in general. And mm-hmm. I, I think it's funny because like I said I have a degree in social work and I'm very much a people person. So it's not as though, you know, I think some people have a stereotype of the people that like love tech and are really into that sort of grew up taking apart alarm clocks and putting them back together <laughs> the that like exactly right. yeah. And I did have a Commodore 64, you God know, and you I and I have that, kind yeah. of always come yeah. up that way. So there's definitely part of that, but I I'm, I'm still a people person that happens to really love and I actually love the internet and I love technology because I think it can help make real human connections.
1: That's true. Where do you see the internet going? I'll make you prognosticate a little bit? Right? Yeah,
0: I know it's so funny. I was at I I was on a panel once, and you know they gave these questions, and then I got there in the first question. They're like, "What do you think of drones?" I'm like, "I don't have a real opinion on drones, so I they don't fly. think the internet." Yeah, yeah, I don't think the internet yeah. is going there. I mean, I think one thing that's super interesting, and and we talk a little bit about it now, is that kind of like non UI user interface, right? So if you look at Google Home or Alexa, and people just starting to interact in that way. You know, for us, for a long time, we've been making interfaces that have had, like, buttons or people could type into them. And now that whole interaction between a human and machine is happening without a quote-unquote user interface.
1: The Echo at our home is a joke machine for the kids.
0: That's awesome.
1: They ask Alexa to just tell jokes all the time.
0: That's like when I first was starting to use Siri with my daughter, and I I would say, you know, show me pictures of monkeys. And (laughs) (laughs) it works every time. I
1: won't tell you what my son asks Siri. (laughs) Let's go to the must list. What is a must do?
0: so i'm new to, newish to l a. Just I moved to l a uh, about three and a half years ago, right? And I never saw myself living here. You know, I was sort of a- (laughs) (laughs) You are East Coast. East Coaster, New Yorker, through and through. And my old boss actually came to Deutsch and I was planning on starting a family. And he said, you have to come here. It's the lifestyle's great. It's great for kids. And so I said, my husband, who actually works here as well, we said, "Uh, we'll do a tour. At that point, we were just kind of doing two year stints at agencies, kind of like working on stuff, picking the places that we wanted to work based on the accounts that they had." or the Mm -hmm. products that the brands that they were working with were launching. It was really kind of like mercenary advertising. Like I just wanted miles. (laughs) I just wanted to like surf the biggest waves. And I had never, ever considered picking a place of employment based on the kind of people that were running it. It's kind of like a new idea. And so when we came out here, it was exactly what you would imagine, kind of like a kinder, gentler kind of place. And I was like, oh, these people are soft. I don't want this. I want like kind of like balls to the walls all the time. I don't want to. And then I realized that actually you can have both, that being a good human being doesn't preclude you from doing amazing, edgy, creative work. So I, I really learned that here. So when we came to LA, we were it took us a long time to kind of get used to it and we were constantly comparing like oh I can't get an egg sandwich, you know all that stuff. Um, but you know we got over ah, that yes, and we started that yes we we're still yes we can't get the a good Kaiser slice. Roll, yeah, yeah right. exactly, all those things. And so then you know we started to then it was a slow softening over time that really only the closest people to us could see this gentle transition and I think it was at the time where someone we went we went out and I had a green
1: juice over ice. So that's your must do.
0: That's my must do. I was like, oh my gosh, I've been doing this wrong, first of all, the whole time. And that green juice is much better over ice. <laughs> and the green juice here is better than the green juice I, I anywhere. Like we veered
1: into Seinfeld territory a little bit.
0: It's green juice over ice.
1: What's a must experience?
0: So, another kind of stereotype, like these are what you're looking at is like all of the stereotypes of like everything that New York had and that LA. And again, I spent all this time looking at these things. And so, you know, when I lived in New York, you say like, oh, you could go to the Museum of Modern Art and you could do all these things. But like, I didn't do any of of those things i just went home it's and ordered. How that works yeah right? Grubhub.
1: And, until somebody shows up and you're like oh I yes of course
0: it. now i'm gonna take you out and so one of the things i think about la is that i find the arts like way more accessible here mm-hmm. and so and and i love downtown la downtown la looks like i think probably the way that I think Soho looked in the 80s. Um, so we like going down there. And I think the LA Philharmonic is like a thing. And I'm super excited the about LA it. Phil. Yeah. LA Phil. Yeah. I mean, who would have thought that? And in a way that in New York, I never felt like Lincoln Center was like my hometown spot here. I think, again, because I, I feel like LA might have this reputation of being shallow. So I'm like, we need to turn out for our big arts here.
1: Yeah, I don't see that anymore. Yeah. I, I get what you mean, but I don't see that anymore. So a must experience. I mean, the art scene here is amazing. Amazing. But specifically the L.A. Philharmonic.
0: I'm into it. Yeah, I know. I'm into like that Walt Disney Center. I'm like, we're going, like we're doing the monthly thing. We're making it happen.
1: What's a must read? Uh,
0: what we were talking, I was like, I don't remember sort of the last time I read a book. And then I was like, well, actually, I think I... I probably read a book last night. I have a three-year-old daughter, mm-hmm. and you know one of the this gifts that I have now is that I can recite the entire book *Madeline* by heart, mm-hmm. and I'm happy to do that
1: now for your audience. That might take a little while. Sure, no, sure. We've got a no. finite amount of time. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No offense. <laughs> they give you the New York thing. Yeah, it might take a little time. No offense. <laughs> no offense. Why? So why is that a must-read?
0: my mom read it to me. It's like a classic thing. I think it's like the first time, maybe it's like an early way that you're seeing sort of like the way that another culture is living. You know, it's kind of weird. She has like a non kind of mom. She lives in Paris. You know what I mean? They're doing something different. So, I mean, for me, that's probably like the only children's book that's holding my interest at this time. But I always (laughs) love all that stuff. Like, you know, it's interesting. I was talking to a client about VR, which believe me, everyone wants to talk about all the time. And we started talking, we we were working on a project and the content was very French, similar to Madeline. I might have had it on the brain. But I was like, I'm so interested in like content that can pull me like way out of what I'm doing. I don't want to read about another 40-something grappling with being a middle-aged woman, middle-aged like suburban woman. Like I want to read stuff that is about Joan of Arc, deep, detailed historical fiction.
1: Joan of Arc's badass. Totally. What is a must learn.
0: This is like my new thing. I feel you know how they always say like the world is going to like give you the message until you get it and the biggest theme of the month is not to take it personally. And I think that that's true with creatives, right? One thing that's like amazing getting to work with creatives and the very first time I saw it I was like holy shit. And it's that ability for creatives to put their work out there and then have it criticized by anyone. Mm -hmm. So it's like, oh, junior strategist, thanks so much for letting me know that you don't think that that person should be wearing a red shirt in that script. What gives the whole world the right to make all of this commentary. But I think if you grow up and you go to art school, you're kind of open to that feedback. You know, you're open to that crit. I mean, I think for me, because I didn't come up in that way, it's taken me a really long time to understand that this feedback that I'm getting from my colleagues, it's not about me personally, that I can also put my work out there and let it be criticized by my peers and my colleagues in a way that's going to make my work better and that it's not a criticism of me as a human. So my work is not who I am.
1: What's a question you've never been asked before that you'd love someone to ask you? And what would the answer be?
0: Well, you know, I work with my husband here. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of crazy. Do you want to go into that? Well, not in tons <laughs> and tons of detail, but I think we spent a lot of that, time. I'm
1: sorry. I was just so Yeah, it's was kind just, of, it's, I, it
0: is. And we've, I mean, we've had lots different Jersey, so yeah, I kind we, of different you know, jobs. He's from New Jersey as well, well by way of Poland. Well. We've gone through lots of different phases, right? Sometimes we don't talk about it. And sometimes we've been on the same teams and people know. And it's always a different dynamic. And and I think for me, it makes it weird because in my professional life, I can actually almost never mention him as Mm -hmm. my partner because it's like really weird. So I feel like going back to what no one asked me, I'm like, I feel like no one really asks me a lot of questions about my partner. And I I would always be down to talk about him more because I think he's awesome.
1: How'd you fall in love? You'd see you we wanted do- a you dodged, you dodged the question. Yeah,
0: well, exactly, right? I talk around it, but it's interesting because <laughs> I've been—I dated all of these like horrible guys, like I'm exactly what you would imagine, right? And I was having a conversation actually with the digital creative director at Crispin. And he was like, Pam, I I have to believe you're doing this wrong. Wait, wait, what? Yeah. Okay. Wow. You know, we were just sitting there, and I was like, you know, again, very Seinfeld Elaine, like, why am I still single? <laughs> like, him, you know, exactly what you would imagine. He was like, he was like, you're going after the wrong kind of guys. You should go out with a technologist because you love them, mm. and. You should find someone creative, but technical and dependable. And he was listing all of these things, and I all of a sudden I just like looked across the room and I saw the guy who's now my husband. I was like, oh, "He is all of those things. I am going to make him mine." And so I did. No, yeah. it wasn't that easy. It went back, you know. <laughs> I was but but say, <laughs> no, no, you're I'm very just very cavalier teasing. about yes, it. yes, yes. <laughs> but I mean, it was like, oh, it kind of makes sense. You know that sort of. It's kind of cheesy, but true. Like Matisse is like your work is your art, your, your, I mean, it's, of course, it would kind of make sense that people that shared the same passions and interests may decide they want to live together forever.
1: I think that's cool. And it's (laughs) nice to have advocates that can see that because a lot of times you just can't see it for yourself. Yeah,
0: it took me a long time to figure that out. But yes, I I owe that all to this guy, Jeff Benjamin.
1: Here's where I compliment you. Now, obviously, know your background a bit. The one place that I always go to as it relates between technology and creativity. And it actually it's interesting that you brought up what you said in the opening. Because the idea of being able to get the language of creativity, the language of marketing, and the language of technology together. I mean, those those are three different languages mm-hmm. at times mm-hmm. and a lot of the time. And I feel like it impedes progress. Because everyone's trying to translate a language they don't understand. And there aren't very many good translators. There are some good translators Mm -hmm. out there, but they're, and fortunately that's improving, but there aren't that many of them. So, what I learned is is that you are that that central point Mm -hmm. that people can gravitate to. And again, going back to the whole idea of a CMO being able to exhale. Yep. That's just kind of a nice thing. Mm-hmm. And where I compliment you is your ability to do that. What I would say is that's a compliment, but also uh, th- throwing a question in with that. Do you feel that you have a responsibility to teach others how to be hubs as well? Because you can't, you can't bring it all on your shoulders.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a few things. I think th- the ability to be a hub between marketers and creatives and technologists comes from a very simple and genuine respect for sort of each of the crafts that, each, that those people are bringing, and also an understanding of, in the nerdiest way possible, the order of operations, right? right? Which is to say, if you cannot start developing ideas until you have a strategy, you cannot have a strategy unless you understand the business. So you ca- you have to bring sort of the right people to the table at the right time. And I think so much of what happens out there is someone saying, well, I wish I would have been brought in earlier. It's like, well, not really. Mm. You know what I mean? Really understanding to say, listen, I understand what you do and I and I know when it's going to be the most fruitful for you to be involved. But I think If anything, as I see new digital producers and new integrated producers come up, some of that stuff is happening more naturally because the technologists that are coming through programs like ITP and Brand Center, you know, we're seeing technologists that are already coming out with an understanding of agile software development. So all the people that did waterfall software development, they're going to come through and be done. Those problems are going to go away.
1: But other stuff's going to crop up.
0: Yeah, I mean, other stuff does crop up in terms. Well, one is kind of just the pace of things in general, right? And people's expectations. And I think what we see more and more is if you work on any brand or any service, you're competing with every other brand and every other service. So to all intents and purposes, we are competing with the user experience design and delivery of Uber. Because now anyone that orders anything over the internet is expecting it. It's the
1: Uber of everything.
0: I know, I know. I do think that that's kind of, Evolving out, but yeah, for a little while, it was like, that's God, every I brand it was so. like, "Yes, you're the Uber of socks. You're the you know every I every love every the Uber thing. of socks." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um So that, to some extent, it's become like way more distributed out there, and that there's more people that are bringing together creatives and developers. But on the other hand, when you work with Fortune 500 companies, the stakes are totally different. So, but to your question about how are we creating an environment where more people can be those hubs, I feel like there'll never be as big of a disconnect between creative and technology as there was at the beginning, which was in 2002. Holiday 2002 is the first time that you had e-commerce builders and brand.coms trying to come together. It's been 13 years of trying to figure out the same stuff, and it's getting better, but it's still not perfect.
1: every guest gets a chance to talk about what is ever on their mind. So without further ado, the floor is yours.
0: So in terms of whatever's on my mind, I think it's how I spent today, who I helped, who I didn't help, who I have to help tomorrow. So I mean, today I feel happy because we have a team that's working on a really awesome game design for one of our clients. And it actually is something that is going to bring people together in a car. And it was just like a beautiful thing. You know, it's being led by a pretty mid-level team and they're doing the right things and they're making the right move. So for me, that's sort of how I close my day, right? And I do try to have some separation between what I do during the day and then what I do once I leave this place. So what's on my mind is after we split here, I'm going to get in my car, I'm going to buzz through all these things, and then I'm going to go home and probably fake read Madeline.
1: Much like the must list, we end with one last piece of advice or wisdom. What is your last word?
0: My last piece of advice or wisdom, I think, would be to really embrace feeling uncomfortable. Any time that I've ever been uncomfortable, and a lot of times I used to just change jobs. Whenever I was like, I don't like how this is going, or I don't think they see me, it was almost like when you're in a relationship, you would just pull a a geographic, and you would look for the place where that answer was. And for now, I think I'm at a place where when I feel most uncomfortable, it means change is coming. And so I think sometimes I would encourage people to sit with that discomfort for a nanosecond before trying to flee that bad feeling.
1: Pam, a pleasure spending time with you here. Absolutely, in LA. I dug Thank it you for joining us. <laughs>